three days later, I'm on a plane to China to, you know, meet with these guys and, you know, ended up then selling, you know, I guess the deal, you know, went through in April of this year. And how much money did they pay you? Just under a million dollars. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Of this week's show is be careful who you mix with. Now, look, ultimately, whether or not your business works or not is your responsibility, and it's going to come down to you. But if you know what's good for you, and if you know how this works for other people, you're going to be significantly helped, and you're going to be a lot less lonely if you put yourself in a place where you can be around supportive people who share your vision who can support you in your journey and contribute to your vision. And today's guest has taken that lesson to heart. You could call it the lesson of, you know, you're the mean of your five closest friends. Some people say it that way. Now, today's guest is Nate Ginsburg, and it's been great to watch him grow from someone just getting started out with a bunch of different income streams to someone creating a highly successful Amazon business, one which recently sold for just under a cool million dollars. And this is a business that essentially he founded and grew in two years. So let's roll with the story, which starts with a chance meeting Nate had in the rolling hills of Northern Thailand, just a few hours scooter ride from Chiang Mai. Pai is an amazing little chill hippie town with rice fields and little cute street markets with lots of different food and elephant pants. And (laughs) we were in Chiang Mai and then motorbiked up to Pai to hang out for a couple of days and was staying at this super cool, like, uh, I think they call them like treehouse style hostel out in the, the rice fields. Met this guy, Andrew, who totally like blew my mind and honestly changed my life when he was telling me how he was traveling the world, you know, running his business, had employees and I think it was India and in the Philippines or Indonesia and he introduced me to the concept of SEO and internet marketing and you know and outsourcing and at the time it was Odesk and all this stuff like completely blew my mind and, and changed my, you know, worldview and he was a little bit older guy. Where was he from? He's American, I think from Pennsylvania, maybe Philly. We've actually met up a few times in in Vietnam. You know, he kind of put this seed in my head of a lead gen business to, you know, local high-end service and use SEO to rank and generate leads and sell the leads. And Let me back up to the youth hostel for a second. This Andrew guy has talked to like hundreds of people in his life. And I guarantee you, Nate, most of them thought he was full of shit. So why are you going to sit there and say this guy from Philadelphia who's staying in a youth hostel, who's a little bit older, you know, there's all this reason to question this guy. Why were you totally in? It's a combination of, of a lot of things. You know, one of them being that 
it you know hit me at the right time. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was I was looking for something and uh, you know then you know meeting Andrew and it made so much sense. Like I remember when he first told me about Odesk, now Upwork, and the idea that there was this marketplace online where you could, you know, hire people to do anything from all over the world. It just it totally, you know, blew my mind. It still does. Why does it seem like an opportunity for you though? What could you do with that marketplace? anything. What can't you do? You have access to people all over the world with all kinds of skill sets. Like I was always interested in entrepreneurship. You know, I was excited about the idea of, you know, doing something on my own. And I remember on my motorbike up to pie, none of this had no idea of any of this stuff existed. And then a couple days later, you know, on the same, you know, few hour motorbike ride back down through the mountains, like I couldn't stop thinking about all these things. And I was so excited and this business that, I was convinced was going to make me a million dollars next year. The bigger thing is I I just knew after meeting him, I just knew that that's what I wanted and and that's what I was going to do. So Nate, when when we first met, we probably met in 2013 in New York City. I think it was right before I was about to leave on my first like work travel experience. I think I was going to South America for a few months and coincidentally was in New York when there was this meetup. And How were you making a living back then? I had a couple uh, niche websites that were doing okay. I had a business partner on those. And yeah, I was doing some, some PPC consulting. But yeah, I think the niche websites were kind of the, the focus. Would it be fair to say you were a niche website specialist or were you just cobbling together sort of a digital nomad income? cobbling together for sure. You know, I was making a little money from that, project managing every once in a while, some digital marketing websites or, you know, middlemanning SEO services. Looking back, like it's it wasn't that hard to get this kind of smorgasbord of different income streams to like not that I was, you know, making that much money, but it was enough to support myself and kind of start traveling and what was the number in your head that you needed to make every month in order to live that lifestyle? I think the the number in my head for a while was kind of like 3K. Thinking if I had like 3K a month, would be able to travel modestly. And what did you learn on that first work vacation in South America? Where did you go? We went to Chile and Argentina, traveling with my buddy Eric, who was working remotely for uh, this company called Zirtual. It was good. You know, definitely enjoyed doing it. But yeah, it was also kind of lonely. It was just like, trying to figure out this sort of a lifestyle and how does it work and when we're traveling. And I was super nervous of my clients at the time and, you know, that I could communicate with them and what they would think that I was in South America. And so certainly learned a lot. Was there a moment that you were like, okay, I'm good now. I'm not just cobbling together things. Like I've stumbled onto something that's going to work for me. Well, I guess it wasn't until starting to get into the Amazon stuff that I really saw bigger potential. And you stumbled on Amazon in 2014. Is that right? Yeah. So a little bit before that, I was becoming more familiar with e-commerce and I was kind of learning about e-commerce first through dropshipping and tried unsuccessfully a few dropshipping stores. But why'd you fail? I didn't do them right. I just kind of threw up these stores and you know, I tried to do it the fast and easy way. And you know, that wasn't a way to be successful you know, with that. I did make actually one one sale. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, thanks. To add to your buffet of income sources. Yeah, I think it was like a $600 lamp. I think I made like, you know, 200 bucks on it or something. So I was, you know, interested in e-commerce and I had a lot of friends and knew a lot of people. 
that I was hanging out with. Why were you interested in it? Because you had a lot of other opportunities on your plate. To be honest, none of the opportunities on my plate I was that excited about. I knew I wanted to be a business owner, work on the business as opposed to, you know, be the business myself. And because I, you know, I played around with different marketing agency type stuff or, you know, client services. And, you know, that was okay. I mean, it generated some income for me to to support myself, but that wasn't what I wanted to do, you know, kind of long term. I really liked the idea of like owning, you know, an actual business that would run and operate independent of me. And yeah, you know, a lot of people in our community had and, and have successful e-commerce businesses. And, and so, yeah, I guess that's what, what kind of, you know, initially drew me. This week's podcast is sponsored by Refund Retriever. If your business uses FedEx or UPS, they're definitely worth checking out. Because if you ship that way, you're going to know that a lot of these companies guarantee that if your package doesn't arrive on time, that they'll give you full credit on their charges. But the reality is that FedEx or UPS doesn't automatically do that. And that's where Refund Retriever comes in. It'll audit your invoices for late deliveries and other billing mistakes that you may not have noticed. Refund Retriever will then directly liaise with FedEx or UPS to make sure that they issue you a full credit. And here's the best part. Their fee comes out of the actual savings they make for you. So you only pay when Refund Retriever performs. So no refund, no fee. So go check it out. What do you have to lose? And a big thanks to Refund Retriever for sponsoring the show. So let's dive back into Nate's entrepreneurial journey. Now, by his own admission, he spent a few years drifting about, trying some new things, traveling, and earning just enough to get by. But the good news is, and the hidden upside in this lifestyle is that all that time he actually was investing in his future because he was putting himself around people who were sharing their experiences with him that would eventually lead to a very successful business. So we're going to rejoin the story where it all started to come to a head. And this was in 2014 at DCBKK on Friday, the Mastermind Day, where entrepreneurs sit around in a circle and solicit advice from others in the group. And you got to have this context where The year before, Nate had been traveling, meeting a bunch of e-commerce entrepreneurs, and he had been hearing about the successes they were achieving, especially on the Amazon platform. I think that was my my second DCBKK. After the first DCBKK, I I spent most of the next year around Asia, hanging out with all kinds of amazing people over here and, and really learning and absorbing so much. And I remember at the, you know, the first mastermind being there at a table, feeling like I knew nothing, had nothing to contribute, you know, feeling out of my league with all these amazing entrepreneurs. And, and, and the next year, you know, sitting at a table, you know, all of a sudden, like, I, I feel like I knew stuff and I had ideas and suggestions for other people, you know, then it came around to my turn to talk about, you know, what I was doing. And like, I didn't really have that much going on. I, you know, this was like right after I, I kind of like made the decision that I was, you know, committed to give this Amazon thing a shot. Like I'd, you know, given so many others and yeah, that conference, I was rooming with uh, my buddy Ben and his business, Natural Stacks, which me and Ben, we like, you know, knew each other. He was one of the first DCers that I met. Ben Hebert. Ben Hebert. We were rooming together and, you know, his business had, he was, he was speaking at the conference and you know, we kind of like started around the same time. And then in the following year or two, his business totally took off. And, you know, we were, we were good buddies. 
but yeah, I, you know, certainly had not progressed that much. And, you know, I remember in the Conrad hotel room, you know, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm doing Amazon. I was like doing, you know, product research, sitting in the hotel room, you know, trying to find like something that I could start to move forward with. And actually, I mean, you know, the more I think about it, the timing was amazing for me because I remember, you know, talking to like Matt and Jamin with all of their... From highcappen.com. They're China sourcing experts. Yeah. And they are China sourcing experts. And I remember, you know, talking to Jamin and him literally, you know, walking me through step by step, like how you reach out to someone on Alibaba and what questions you ask. And so it was really good timing because I kind of, you know, was all of a sudden in a room with all these smart and experienced and successful people that I was able to talk to and get direct and immediate feedback and, you know, help, which from that, you know, then got back to uh, Saigon and continued the, you know, product research until I found something that I, you know, could move forward with. And again, still emailing. So what was this first product? Like, what, what was it like? I don't know. Can you say what the product was? Or Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not selling it anymore. It was a glass wine decanter. And so you're sitting there back in Ho Chi Minh City, pressure is on, and you're saying, it's me and this glass wine decanter. I remember I, you know, found this product and then, you know, got samples. And then I placed my first order. I remember it was Christmas, on Christmas Day of, I guess, that year that I, like, you know, sent the down payment. And it just takes so long. So I was, like, looking for a product, and I found it. And then you're just waiting back and forth, getting samples and communicating with suppliers. Then you place the order, and then you're waiting, and it's getting manufactured. And then there's delays, and then it ships, and it gets on a boat, and you're waiting more. So, like, you know, none of this happened quickly. Let's talk about what it is that an FBA person does. So what's the theory behind this? Like there's not enough glass decanters on the Amazon platform or they're not good ones or how did it come that you felt that that was an opportunity? You know, what an opportunity on Amazon looks like is, you know, you find, you know, a product or a group of products that look like they're they're doing pretty good, you know, sales volume, which, you know, there's different tools you can use to to check all this stuff. Jungle Scout being a great one. And and yeah, so you can see how products are selling and, you know, the idea is you find something that it looks like there's, you know, a handful of good selling products that either aren't that well marketed, meaning maybe the listings don't look very good, they don't have great images or the descriptions aren't very well written. They don't have very good reviews or they don't have very many reviews. And so then the idea is, oh, okay, well, like if I can find something as good or better to then introduce and then, you know, market as good or better than this competition, then I can grab some portion of those sales. How much money did it cost you to get started? I think the first order, you know, when it was all said and done, I think cost me around like 5k out of pocket, maybe a little bit less. Is that about average, do you think? You know, now knowing what I know now and from, you know, the experience of launching a whole bunch of different products, like you can definitely do it for much cheaper. You also can do it for much more expensive. How many products have you launched on Amazon? Man, maybe like over 60, maybe 70. You start with a wine decanter. You scale it into 60 products. What's the strategy there? How do you decide how to scale? The wine decanter, the first product, really, you know, was not a home run, you know, single at best. But it gave me enough kind of confidence and thinking, okay, like I get how this works. I get how this, you know, could be selling more. I could sell more. And, you know, the basics is you want to sell more stuff on Amazon, you know, launch more products. 
Later that year, I was in Bali and kind of came across some cool stuff that I saw people were selling there and just kind of gave me an idea to look into these types of products. And you're not willing to say what they are. Those I'm still selling. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so so kind of stumbled into this category. And by the way, I just want to say something because there's going to be people who criticize you for that. And not that you care, but I just think that that's bullshit because I've heard e-commerce people basically say Amazon's BS because you can't share what your business does. And my challenge to any person who levies this critique is to publicly announce the names of your suppliers because the reality is, is that the secret sauce is always going to stay secret. And it just so happens that in the case of an Amazon business, product selection is the secret sauce. Whereas with a branded physical products company, the secret sauce is who makes the product. Rant over. Sorry, I interrupted the scaling. My next product idea, and I remember, you know, finally everything takes longer than you, you know, think or want, but but finally, you know, placed the order, you know, got the order, you know, I don't know, 600 of these things. This one was different. They were small. They were pretty cheap and lightweight. So, you know, shipping by air was much, you know, faster. So you're shipping this stuff from a factory in China to Amazon's warehouses? Had a intermediary, like a guy that I, that I found in, you know, New Jersey who would, you know, receive and, you know, make sure they were, you know, packaged correctly, or he would add the Amazon FBA, you know, labels or whatnot. But yeah, I got this, the second product that, you know, I thought would maybe sell 10 a day, you know, 15 a day. And yeah, this thing, you know, got in, started selling and all of a sudden it's 10, 20, you know, 30, 40 a day. And I'm like, boom, I'm out of stock. (laughs) So like, this is when it started to get exciting. What month was this? This was the summer of 2015. 2015. So this is like six months after you were at that mastermind table thinking, man, I don't have anything going on. Yeah. And I remember, you know, that summer, you know, kind of back to what you were asking about when I felt like I had something, it was like, that was a summer. And, and I actually remember I, I was living in Budapest, you know, just kind of by chance, some of the other income streams that I had, some of the consulting, some of these other projects were finishing or, you know, kind of drying up. But I remember like going to Budapest and, you know, thinking like, all right, well, like this has got to work. I remember that time I'm, you know, juggling balances on my credit cards to place bigger orders with my suppliers and it's getting in stock, selling, you know, 50 a day, 60 a day, 70 a day. That's when it really, you know, kind of clicked and, you know, I started to get really excited and then we're launching different variations of similar products and I'm still, you know, maxing out my credit cards to, you know, to support this because I didn't have any money. And then I launched the, you know, the second product and you know, third product. And I think by DCBKK that year. So this is 2015. 2015. Yeah. I mean, I remember, man, that summer, so exciting. Like my sales doubled like July, August, September, October, <laughs> just like, you know, month after month. What kind of numbers are we talking about? You know, well, probably starting in June was like maybe, you know, a couple grand and July, I think it was like, you know, seven grand, August, you know, something like, you know, 15 and then, you know, 30. And Now, because of the momentum that Nate was achieving with his Amazon business, it meant he was able to hire people. And he's even spoken at some of our events about how he runs his distributed team, which is an essential step to turning a business from being all about you and your laptop and and gaming the internet into something that is potentially an investment opportunity for somebody else. And that person in this case turned out to be someone who is an inspiration to many in our community. 
Travis Jameson, we had known each other for a few years from just kind of hanging out around Asia and Saigon. And Travis Jameson, founder of Supremacy SEO and AMZ Tracker. And then we started talking. He recently had sold another one of his businesses and was looking to get involved more in investing. And you know, eventually came to agreement where he, you know, I sold him half the business to then you know become partners. And you know, it was then that kind of cemented the we're going to scale this and grow it big because it was kind of like, all right, I can keep this myself and, you know, maybe adding a product here or there or growing this. I I had been growing it myself, but, you know, then taking on a partner, the thought and, you know, kind of expectation was like, all right, we're we're not just going to do this medium. We're going to do this all the way. So why did you take the money from him? What was his value to you? Well, Travis, you know, was and is one of the most successful guys that, that I know. And, you know, at the time, the thinking was, well, if I partner with one of the most successful guys that I know, that will lead to more and better opportunities for me. You know, with these FBA businesses, the the cash flow is pretty bad. Because you need to keep putting more money back into it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the margins aren't really high. What do they look like and on average industry average? Do you have a sense for that? Yeah. I mean, I think at the time our margins were around 30% or, you know, maybe a little bit less. We were doing six figures in sales a month and yeah, you know, when we were growing, we were launching new products, this all comes out of pocket and then something starts selling and selling more and then you got to buy more inventory that all comes out of pocket. So all these things just you know, it needs cash. And so while the business for, you know, maybe six months was growing and doubling every month and, you know, it was really, really exciting. The money in my bank account was not really growing. And so one of the other reasons, the opportunity to, you know, take on investment and partner with Travis was to give myself some financial breathing room. We call it like taking a little bit off the table. Yeah. So I was a part of it and I was glad that I you know, had the opportunity to do that. And that wasn't the only reason that was part of it. But yeah, the other, you know, big consideration was, all right, like Travis is one of the most successful guys that I know. And me being involved with him more in business, the thought, which has certainly proved to be true, was that it would lead to new and more opportunities for me in my life. It's interesting about networking too, that you guys knew each other for a while before, but it was that asset that you had that changed the nature of the relationship. Yeah. We'd known each other for a couple of years and we're friends and, you know, kind of been like, you know, building this relationship capital. And then all of a sudden there was this opportunity that, you know, we both were, I guess, interested in and, you know, for us to really work together. And it's worked out really well for us both. And the more in my life and business and career that has kind of progressed, it's like more and more opportunities like this seem to be coming up. Just people that I knew or met, you know, years ago that kind of became friends with. Then, you know, fast forward, you know, years later, maybe, and then it's like, oh, wow, like now I'm holding an event and come speak at my event. And like, back to your story, why did you guys sell? When was the moment when you're like, let's sell this thing? Travis came in almost two years ago now. So you and Travis like talked about the opportunity at DCBKK 2015. We started talking about this opportunity early the next year in Saigon. So like January 2016, you're chatting and Travis invests in the company early in 2016. March. Yeah. So you got life-changing money March, 2016. Yes. And you're running the business, you're running the business. Now you got this successful guy as a business partner that October, 2016, you speak 
to DCBKK attendees about how you've been building your distributed team to carry out all these processes. When do you decide that you might want to sell this business? In the fall, Travis loaned the business money to, yeah, really do it big or pursue it big. And so then it was like... What kind of money are we talking about? A couple hundred grand, which was, is a lot of money. And, you know, with these businesses, like capital is often the, the biggest bottleneck for growth. And I was talking to friends at the time, you know, I was so excited. And one of my friends in my ear being like, every day that you have available money that you're not profitably reinvesting, you're failing as an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and so I had this in my head, like, all right, I've got this money. I got I to gotta do something with it. Otherwise, you know, who, who, you know, what am I? And then I attended Blacksmith Camp the summer before, and that really... This is Simon Black's networking sort of retreat. Yeah, for entrepreneurship summer retreat. And yeah, I learned a ton. And at the event that summer, it really like changed the way that I viewed myself as the kind of business owner and like what it meant to run a business and run my team and be a leader of my team. And yeah, so then it was that time that we really started ramping up, I guess, from the end of that summer to the end of the year, probably onboarded like six people. And four or five of them are still working with me today. At that time, we I made the decision to focus our growth on the EU market. The thinking being it was, you know, less competitive, we could, you know, move fast and take advantage of the lower competition versus the US where that was where all our sales were coming before. That's where I started selling. Then, you know, another couple of months it was. This was in in March of this year that I just finished a family vacation and was just like catching up with Travis on just yeah, on a call and he just kind of casually mentioned, like, oh, like, would you maybe be interested in selling the business? I was like, um, <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, turns out the company that bought some of his other businesses was looking to acquire some more businesses. And yeah, long story short, three days later, I'm on a plane to China to, you know, meet with these guys and ended up then selling the USA side of the business. You know, I guess the deal, you know, went through in, in you know, April of this year. And how much money did they pay you? Just under a million dollars. And how did you come to that number? Well, yeah, it's an interesting experience because it wasn't, you know, there were no brokers involved. This was literally, you know, me and Jerry. Jerry is this guy who bought the business. He's the CEO of the company that bought the business. What was it like meeting him? It was overall good. <laughs> I'd heard a lot about him, you know, from Travis and other people that had, you know, worked with him or interacted with him. And were you guys in like a fancy hotel? I was staying at a pretty fancy hotel near his office, like in, you know, random boonies in Shenzhen near like nothing. I mean, there's nothing in this part of town except for high rise office or high rise apartment buildings. And I knew roughly what these businesses were, you know, kind of valued at. And, and so had some, you know, kind of ideas, but I didn't know what he wanted or where things were going to go. And so we met and kind of started talking and started talking numbers. And, and he actually originally offered, so he first made an offer of, you know, it was like 900K of the business plus inventory, you know, whatever. And, you know, that was a little bit lower than I wanted or I thought the business should be worth or what, you know, me and Travis wanted. And, and I remember, you know, kind of like, you know, we, we counter like, no, like 1.1 is, you know, the, the lowest that will go. What month is this? This was in, in early April. So this business was started when? I guess this was maybe two years after making my first sale, 
roughly. Wow. Actually pretty close to exactly. So basically you were doing the purchase order stuff in like that winter, January, February, and then you made your first sale April of 2015. Yeah. And you're sitting in an office in China selling this business two years later for a million bucks. Yeah. Selling part of it. (laughs) You said you wouldn't go lower than $1.1 million. What happened? I remember leaving the negotiations, you know, with it unsettled. And, and I was actually, that was the last time that we, that we met because I was, I was flying to the Philippines or I had plans to go to the Philippines to meet with some of my team, you know, shortly after, you know, we didn't have an agreement. And like, honestly, man, in my head, I was freaking out. I was like, oh, did I just make the dumbest, that's <laughs> just turn down the best opportunity that I've ever had. And like, it was stressful. <laughs> like I thought that I just made the biggest mistake of my career and like I had this, you know, money and opportunity, you know, on the table and I just, you know, said no because I wanted relatively a little bit more. Anyway, so, you know, I don't know, it was a week later, or a couple days later or whatever, they came back with another offer, ended up being for, yeah, 950k. And, you know, the second that he offered anything, I was like, "All right, yep. Great. <laughs> like, sure, let's do it. Fine. <laughs> I agree." How do we move this forward? <laughs> and yeah, so that's how we came to an agreement. <laughs> what do you think about the courses that exist about how to get started on Amazon? Are they telling the truth about how people win on Amazon? They do a good job in so much as my understanding of explaining the process. You know, selling on Amazon is the model is not overly complicated. Where it gets tricky is in the actual, you know, execution and implementation and you know, stuff like finding products with a high enough margin, even finding, you know, these opportunities now, it's getting a lot harder because, you know, now you're competing with the bigger and bigger sellers are growing. And like, that's who you're competing with. If I tried to do what I did, you know, a few years ago, if I tried to do that today, I don't know or or think that that, you know, would be effective. Why? you know, specifically thinking of the products that I started selling, like they're way more competitive now. There's, you know, tons of other people selling very similar stuff. You know, in general, it's like when you find a good opportunity and you have a product that's selling a lot, you know, there's all these tools that everyone's using to see this. So it doesn't, doesn't stay secret for that long. And it's like, you know, blood in the water, like they see there's opportunity and that it attracts more people, you know, to that opportunity, which makes it more crowded. Do you need to violate Amazon terms of service to be successful on Amazon? No, you don't need to violate Amazon's terms of service. I'm assuming what you're referring to is the review and the promotion, you know, type stuff, which what I'm referring to is I spoke one time with, and this is why I asked a question about the courses. Most of the people that I know that are successful on Amazon think the courses are bullshit in part because they say like, if you just followed those strategies, like you wouldn't actually be successful. The, the way people are successful is a little bit more cutthroat than that. They find advantages in the system and they take the advantage. I agree that most of the people that I know have, uh, and not that it's necessarily against Amazon terms of service, but like they, you know, maybe they have like a big email list that they've, you know, generated that they can use to launch their products and get reviews and, and drive sales. It's, you know, but a lot of, or almost all of the, you know, really big sellers that I know, they've got, you know, some sort of, edge or access or something that allows them to be competitive. It's a different game. Like the approach that I took, you know, a couple years ago, I don't know if I would recommend that for someone else that's starting. 
Well, why wouldn't it, what you did work? Just because there's so much more competition. If you're selling a product from China, just being you know reality, like Chinese people are probably going to get better deal terms than you are. And so if you're selling a commodity, someone in China is probably going to get a better deal or the factory is going to sell it directly. And on Amazon, it's you know extremely price competitive. You know, you're not going to be able to compete, whether it's now or in the somewhat near future. If you're selling a commodity, you're not going to be able to you know, compete on price you know, if you're manufacturing in China. And so basically, you know, that wine decanter essentially is a commodity is what you're saying. It wasn't, there wasn't no new story behind the wine decanter. There's no brand. There's no... Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was nice. It was a good design. You know, people liked it. But yeah, it wasn't unique. You know, there's other people that could sell the, a very similar product at a lower price, you know, or, or maybe just bigger companies are willing to, you know, deal with lower margins. And so, you know, some of these bigger businesses that are getting involved or even like, you know, I've heard like private equity firms that their number one is market share and they don't care about profit for, you know, one year, two year, three years. So they'll literally, you know, sell at cost or lose money for years if that's going to mean that they can, you know, get market share. And like, as a small business owner, like I need to make money <laughs> when I sell things. Like I can't sell at a loss for years. Well, this Amazon FBA space is a little bit of opaque because people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to share much about it. So I appreciate you doing that. What do you think are the misconceptions from people that aren't in the Amazon world? Have you noticed any? These businesses, they can grow in sales and grow in revenue. And you know, you can potentially, like I've been fortunate to be able to do, you can sell them for significant money. But yeah, running them is and can be so expensive. You know, More and more the free cash flow is not very, you know, with these types of businesses is not good. And the more that I learn about business, and, and this is something like I didn't even know what free cash flow was until, you know, like a year ago. <laughs> yes, you can make a lot of sales on Amazon, but like that doesn't equal a successful or, you know, sustainable business. If your margins are low, it can just cost so much to operate that it ends up not, you know, it can not be profitable, period, or it can be profitable, but still just, you know, suck your cash away. And yeah, this is stuff like I didn't know or think of any of this kind of stuff when I was getting started with it. And it hasn't been until I've learned more about business and, you know, some of these like metrics that good or healthy businesses prioritize that it's nice different, you know, perspectives or, or things to keep in mind. Why are you so passionate about sharing information about how you run your distributed team? Well, I love my distributed team. <laughs> we were talking about my story earlier and like this whole idea, you can be anywhere in the world and hire someone also anywhere in the world is so amazing. You know, that's really what enabled me to get my start in anything and, you know, has spiraled forward into, you know, what I'm doing now. And still today, like it still blows my mind that this is possible. And, you know, the opportunities that I've been able to pursue because of the access and ability to hire people from all over the world. You know, I've got on my team now, I've got people in the Philippines, I've got, you know, a girl from Ukraine, I've got a Swiss guy, I've got an American, you know, I've hired people from Europe, from South America. That's amazing. <laughs> like, right at the core of this, we have this little platform called Amazon, but on the back end, you've got this team of people from all around the world. And on the front end, you've got this group of like mentors, investors, buyers, friends that you're using your location to go develop relationships with these people too. It's true. And 
all the best opportunities in my life have come from people that I know. Everything that I've learned is due to being surrounded by people that have done it, you know, were doing it, know this stuff better than I do. And yeah, you know, now I've got this amazing team that's like, they are running my business. Like right now, I'm not running this business. Like my team is. No, you're going to yoga. I'm going to yoga. I'm trying to like meet more people and, you know, find more of these opportunities. And in order for me to do that, you know, my team needs to run the business and they do. You know, one of the things that I love about it is it's all self-selecting. Like I'm very, you know, I say fortunate, but I don't think it's a coincidence that like all the people in my life that I'm consistently interacting with are amazing, wonderful, positive, abundant, you know, supportive, encouraging, smart, you know, hardworking. Like this is like everyone in my life. Cool. Nate Ginsburg, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I love bringing stories like this to you. Let me know what you think. You can check out everything that Nate mentioned in today's episode. We'll post the show notes and the transcript and the links at tropicalmba.com slash Nate Ginsburg. I'm tempted to talk about a theme. You know, it's just another story here of getting yourself in the game around the right people and to give yourself space and time to explore opportunities because this stuff does take a long time and it's hard to predict how things are going to play out. You know, if we would have talked to Nate a few years ago, he was on a very different path, but ultimately it was the entrepreneurial path. And it's hard to imagine that he would have been exposed to such an opportunity had he stayed in a more traditional employment setup. So congrats, Nate, to all your success. We'll be following you in the future. And thanks for joining us on the Tropical MBA podcast. We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.